Hi, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Lauren. My pronouns are she slash her. And this is Demythifying. The podcast where two best friends talk mythology. Go off on tangents. And hope to bring a little bit more forgotten magic to the world. Can you believe we're on the last of the star sign myths? I know, but this is a big one. It's the one without birthday myths on. We didn't deliberately save these for last, but somehow it's worked out that way since they put Aries as the first. Does star signs somehow work with the UK tax year? (laughs) What does your star sign say about you as a person since we covered mine already? Okay, so on the positive, I'm responsible, intelligent and loyal. Although some of my ex-boyfriends might disagree with you on that. (laughs) On the negative, I am sensitive, stubborn and unforgiving, which, to be honest, that is 100% me. I would argue that sensitive isn't a negative thing. Tell my mum that. There is generally some debate about whether Sagittarius is a centaur or not. If it is a centaur, then it is Chiron. Mostly, people believe that it's a creature like a satyr, but who has horse's legs rather than goat legs. You can't see its back, so we don't know how many legs it has. Also, for the most part, Chiron being the exception, generally centaurs aren't civilised and they don't use bows and arrows, and the Sagittarius constellation is known as the Archer. See, I always thought it was Chiron. So... The question then becomes, who actually is he? Krotos. You look like you've never heard of him before. I can't say we've been acquainted. Then prepare to be now. He was the nurse of the muses and the son of a deity called Euphemi. She was one of the younger charities. So first you have the charity slash graces and then you have the younger charities? Exactly. Euphemi was the ancient Greek spirit of good omen. Praise, acclaims, shouts of triumph and applause. He lived on Mount Helion and he was an extremely skilled hunter and hunted animals for food. He spent large amounts of time with the muses and really delighted in their company. He especially enjoyed their musical performances. To show his approval for these performances, he clapped his hands. Other people slowly began to join in and this was a sign of enjoyment. The muses asked Zeus to put him in the stars as a thank you as they were so pleased about the fame that he brought them. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. The imagery behind the constellation is all because they wanted to represent him and all of his skills in one image. So we have horse's legs because he spent a lot of time riding, arrows because of the sharpness of mind, speed and proficiency in archery. Then the satyr's tail because he had a relationship with the muses like Dionysus had with the satyrs. Then there were also a few stars in a circlet at his feet, which could represent a crown cast off by him as though he were in a play. That is really interesting, actually. And I think there is a central constellation. So it makes sense that that would be Chiron rather than Sagittarius being him. I actually really like the meaning and the imagery behind the constellation. So on to my birthday myth now. There are two potential people who could be Capricorn. The first is Ajipan. When baby Zeus was living on Mount Aida, Ajipan lived with him, and apparently they were suckled from the same goat. 
Now, we already know there was a battle between Zeus and the Titans in the Titanomachy. The first being to arouse panic in the Titans was Ajipan. He found a seashell that emitted a panic-inducing sound, and this affected the Titans in battle. So last Star Sign episode, we had giant scaring donkeys, and now this? Well, Greek myth is nothing if not surprising. He also threw seashells at the enemy, which I can't really imagine is an effective battle plan, but honestly, you never know. So he was placing the stars as a thank you with the fishtail because he found the seashell in the sea. Now, this is the version by Hygienus. Now, the other version I mentioned is an Egyptian version. So think back to the Halloween episode where we talked about the Typhonomachy. Oh, all the gods were said to have run away to Egypt, right? And this is why they have connections with Egyptian gods. It's to do with the animals they turned into? Yes. So the other possible option for Capricorn is Pan, which comes from that story. So one alternative of the Pan version is that he was the one who told the gods to turn themselves into these animals to hide from Typhon, which obviously we know worked. And as a thank you, they represented him in the stars as his transformation animal of choice, which was the goat. Now, the other alternative just suggested he jumped into the river and this gave his lower half a slightly fish-like look. So the imagery of the constellation is a half goat and a half fish. Eratosthenes suggested that the fish half of the constellation is symbolic. Like with Sagittarius, he didn't actually have horse legs and a satyr tail. They shaped the constellation imagery to suit what they wanted, right? Yeah, I'd say so. And the Pan version certainly explains as well why the Egyptian gods had a combination of animal and human features. We've mentioned the star of the next constellation before, although again there are some other potentials for who it could be, so we'll briefly cover those first before we go into the main and what we think is the most probable version. So Aquarius is the water pourer. Sources suggest the name comes from the action that the person in the constellation is doing. Water pouring. So the first two main possible alternatives come from Hygienus. The first is it could be Deucalion, who I mentioned before. He was the child of Prometheus who built an ark, very Noah-esque, survived the Great Flood, and that flood was sent to get rid of the Bronze Age of mankind. Apparently in this version, he's a water pourer simply for symbolic reasons, and I'm not really convinced. No, I'm willing to go with symbolism to a point, but he's the worst of the main three potential stories. The second main alternative is Sacrops. He was the first earthborn king of Athens. And the idea here is that he is pouring a libation to the gods. Okay, but correct me if I'm wrong here, but how could he be pouring a libation to the gods when wine wouldn't have existed yet? Dionysus brought wine to King Icarios, who lived during the reign of King Pandion of Athens. And we talked about him when I told you this story of Procne and Philomela, and they both came later. You aren't wrong here because wine wasn't available, so they wouldn't have been able to pour libations to the gods of wine. If this is Sacrops, he would have actually been using water, hence water pourer. Okay. I mean, I get that it's the thought that counts, but surely there are better things to do to show the gods that you're thinking of them. I mean, when sacrifice was a thing, I want to emphasise that I personally appreciate small gestures. Like when our friends Amber and Lauren took me to word on the water when we went out for my birthday. 
the gods expect the best <laughs> um side note word on the water is a bookshop in london it's on a big canal boat and it's been turned into an independent bookshop it's really i bought a book from there that i wanted so if you're in london and especially around the king's cross area i really suggest that you go and check it out mind you it depends because i think if water is scarce then offering up to the gods your a part of your portion of water would be a sacrifice surely okay maybe you're winning me over slightly i still think he's he's more likely than decalion but less likely than our main story yeah i i can see that i don't really have anything to, to add to that <laughs> The next person we mentioned back in episode four when we went through some of the extensive list of Zeus's relationships. That person is, drumroll please, Ganymede. As I said back in episode four, there is a moon of Jupiter named after him. The main source for the story of Ganymede is Homer, although other sources also agree. He was, Lauren, are you sitting down for this? He was beautiful. No, what? <laughs> honestly he was and in greek myth we have learned that beautiful or accomplished people attract the attentions of the gods wanted or otherwise ganymede was a trojan prince and he was taken by zeus a quote i found in the homeric hymn to aphrodite is verily wise zeus carried off golden-haired ganymedes ganymede because of his beauty to be amongst the deathless ones and pour drinks for the god in the house of zeus a wonder to see Honoured by all the immortals as he draws the red nectar from the golden bowl, deathless and unaging, even as the gods. There are so many quotes I could have chosen, though. It's not a difficult story to find. We mentioned that he was a lover of Zeus as well. Apollonius describes Zeus as lovesmitten. And there's a source by Pindar where Zeus's love for Ganymede is compared to Poseidon's love for Pelops. So we have no reason to think that it wasn't sexual. It definitely was. Pelops was a child of Tantalus, and that's a whole big story we'll get into when we explore that family tree, because descendants there include, I will pause for dramatic effect, Menelaus and Agamemnon. <gasps> no. So you've seen this cute young prince you fancy, you've kidnapped him to be an immortal and to be a cupbearer. What happens next? Well, in most stories, very little. The family, in some cases, are just left to pick up the pieces. I mean, I'm thinking of Europa here. They try and find their missing abducted child, but there's no real consequences for Zeus. This might surprise you then, because Zeus offers something to Ganymede's dad. Super special horses. This is a quote from the Iliad. These, the horses of Aeneas, are one of the strain which Zeus of the wide brows granted once to Tross. Recompense for his son Ganymedes, and therefore are the finest of all horses beneath the sun and the daybreak. Before we go into that, I just want to talk about this picture called The Rape of Ganymede by Demiano Mazza. We've both seen this in the flesh. This is at the National Gallery in London. And it's Ganymede being abducted by Zeus with Zeus, air quotes, disguised as an eagle. Honestly, I think I'd have been living in constant paranoia after a while. Does the cute puppy want scritches or is it going to surprise me and turn into Zeus? In a world where he is impregnating women through a leak of water in her ceiling or just that bit of sp that spray of rain through her window, you're just not safe. <laughs> yeah, I never realised that Ganymede was a man when I was hearing this story as, as a child. It's just it's a beautiful painting. 
I just, every time I see it, I'm like, oh yeah, Ganymede was a man. Do we maybe think that because Ganymede was a boy and obviously boys are more important, that's why he offered some kind of recompense? I would say so, because you don't hear it with the other stories of which there are many. That's what I was wondering. I mean, he literally pretends to be a leak in the ceiling to impregnate a woman and doesn't recompense her father. You know, he literally, she is locked in a tower and he does that and doesn't feel any remorse or enough remorse to give the father or family anything in return but because this is a man because this is a boy even it's probably realistically it's not a man it's a boy but also i don't know any stories of hera punishing ganymede no there is something um i will say i have a quote in my notes that i thought was um was interesting about hera and ganymede um but we'll get to that in a minute if I told you that these horses came up in the story of a hero, would you know which one I was talking about? Yes. It's the hero who everyone loves to trick. It's Heracles, who we will talk about eventually. Now, I remember in one of his labours, he makes a deal with someone for one of their cows. Like, if I do this, will you give me X amount of cows? And the king agrees. And then, no, what? I never promised you cows. Later, he then goes to Troy, just for fun, I think. And there's a very Perseus and Andromeda type situation. And he wants horses to save the daughter the trojan king agrees and then he goes back on his word and then all hell breaks loose and that kind of ties into the trojan war um origins like who gets left alive after that but we will get to that clearly the horses became very important to the trojans and maybe this was the reason that it was a wooden horse left at troy maybe that's why they chose a horse It has a good double meaning because Poseidon is god of horses and he would appreciate the offering for a good voyage home. But also maybe the Trojans liked it more because it was a horse. There's a quote by Nonus that I quite enjoyed. Hera, the wife of Zeus, complains, Is it not shame enough, an impious thing, that I see the Trojan boy, Ganymedes, cut blacky to Zeus, disgracing heaven and Hebe, cut bearer of Zeus, while he ladles sweet nectar with human hands? So I'm wondering if she... She was obviously annoyed by the fact that she had to look at someone who Zeus had had a fling with. But she also seems annoyed that it's displaced her daughter. Yeah. I want to get into that properly. It's almost like that's annoyed her more. Yeah. I want to get into that properly um, soon because we will be talking about Hera and her in good ways and in bad ways and her jealousy. So I want to explore that properly then. Yeah. This leads me on to Hebe is the daughter of Zeus and Hera. She is the personification of youth. She also assisted her mum in other ways and bathed and dressed her brother Ares. She was the original cupbearer, and we will talk about her a little more next episode because she ends up marrying someone that you'll all have heard of and having children with them. Oh, also, do you think maybe the seeing Ganymede was an extra insult to Hera just because she hated the Trojans so much? So I'm assuming because the horses were given... And then they talk about them being descendants of the horses for Aeneas. We know that this happened before the Trojan War. So then it became an extra insult to her later. I mean, possibly. Or it's an extra insult that her husband just keeps playing away. Like how much of it is, oh, this is another one versus, oh, it's another one and he's a Trojan? Um, I think it's a combination. Yeah, it's probably a combination. 
But then she doesn't seem to react as much in the same way that she does with the others. Well, I have theories about that and we... We'll talk about them. <laughs> yes. Well, we're going to be doing... Our hero episode will be coming out less than a week after this episode comes out. So we're going to get into all of that. The fact he becomes cupbearer for the gods is why people think the Aquarius... Think that he is the Aquarius constellation because he was pouring nectar and that's pouring a, a liquid. The myth behind Pisces is another one that links to Typhon. There are two versions of the story, obviously. Both of these involve Aphrodite and her son Eros. The first is that when Typhon came, they turned themselves into fishes to escape. I'm including a quote for Hyginus, Pisces, fishes. Diognetus Euthrasus says that once Venus, Aphrodite, and her son Cupid, Eros, came in Syria to the river Euphrates, their Typhon of whom we already have spoken, suddenly appeared. Venus and her son threw themselves into the river and they changed their forms to fishes. And so by doing this, escaped danger. So afterwards, the Syrians, who are adjacent to these regions, stopped eating fish, fearing to catch them, lest with like reason they seem to either oppose the protection of the gods or to entrap the gods themselves. This is really similar to the Egyptian story, only it's set in a slightly different location. Yes, it also makes sense that fish then became sacred to the Syrians because they associated them with gods. Because if you look at the animals in Egypt that are sacred to Egyptians, it's for religious reasons. And at the risk of talking about something you don't really like, they also have mummified fish at the British Museum, which I've always found really strange. Why? Well, maybe this is why. I don't do dead things, (laughs) but that could be it. It's not a sexy animal, though, is it? A fish. It seems a really odd choice for her to turn into. I don't know. Have you seen Ariel? She's she's half fish. She's half fish. Half fish. <laughs> the other version is that they carried Aphrodite and her son instead. The rest of the story is very similar, however. What about the Syrian story of Ashtate? This is another version of the birth of Aphrodite. A large egg fell into the Euphrates River. Two fish rolled it to the bank and doves nested on it. And out of it popped Venus, who was later called the Syrian goddess goddess. Ashtati, not pronounced like that. The fish were then put into the stars as a thank you by Jupiter slash Jove. And this story also said that the Syrians didn't eat fish or doves. Oh, Charlotte, I've loved doing these so much. There are some constellations we haven't covered because they either have or they will pop up in other myths. Also, is it my turn to pick the next mini so topic since you chose these? I guess that's only fair. I'll get thinking then. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Follow us on Instagram at Demythifying the Podcast for more Olympus-based content. And if you're liking what we're doing, please rate us and subscribe. Also, check out our website at www.demythpod.com co.uk where you can stream all of our episodes and you can see all of the pictures that we put up on the instagram too see you again next time and check us out wherever you get your podcasts she's been charlotte i've been lauren and together we've been demythifying <laughs>